to think of Jesus on the cross in itself is a humbling thought. We should never just read through and take for granted that Jesus suffered on the cross for us individually. As he suffered on the cross, he spoke certain words. You remember some of these words. Such as, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or, to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Or to John, behold your mother. Or to Mary, behold your son. Or to listen to Jesus say, it is finished. It is finished. Those words are precious. But so are the words spoken from the ground. We want to focus on the words spoken from the ground. As Jesus was on the cross, there are words spoken, most of them, many of them, spoken in a mocking, disrespectful way, some of them, words spoken from the ground. And we can learn this morning five things about Jesus from the words spoken from the ground. And so notice these in our short time together this morning. Notice a few of these with me. These words, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. He saved others. They were saying this in a jeering sort of way. In a very disrespectful sort of way. They're down on the ground, talking to each other, high-fiving each other, noticing what they had done to this man who had been so popular among the common people. He saved others. Himself he could not save. This tells us about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus went about doing good. Jesus went about doing good. These are his enemies. But even his enemies could not, could not deny that he had helped a number of people. He saved others. They could not deny the good that he did. Now, there's a statement made by, by Peter in Acts 10.38 that you'll want to get a hold of. Acts 10.38. Peter in his lesson there talked about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And through that, Jesus went about doing good, healing everybody who was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Our first fact about Jesus is he went about doing good. And the testimony, even from his enemies, is very powerful in his behalf. Let's let's just explore that for a minute or two. Jesus would relieve those who were suffering. He had the power to do it. For example, in Matthew 8, verse 5, we see him healing the centurion's servant. In Matthew 8, 14, we see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. 
In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1, we see Jesus healing a lame man. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26, we see Jesus healing a lady with an issue of blood, but also bringing back Jairus' daughter from the dead. And we can go on and on about the, the great works that, that Jesus did. Jesus relieved the afflictions of people. But Jesus also was able to change a lot of lives. We remember the occasion in John 8 where a woman was caught in the very act of adultery, but Jesus was able to lift her up. And he told her that she needed to go and sin no more. He said, I don't condemn you, but you need to go and sin no more. He lifted her up, he changed, he lifted her up, he changed her life. We think about the woman mentioned in John 4, the woman at Jacob's well, the woman from Samaria, who had had five husbands, and the one that she was with then was not her husband, and Jesus completely changed her life. Jesus changed the lives of his apostles. Jesus changed lives. He went about doing good. Jesus would teach those with an open heart. He is called the master teacher, and that is, that is for very good reason. When they came to arrest Jesus, he's told them, he says, I was daily in the temple teaching, and you come to me as a thief, as, as a robber. You come to me with these swords and these clubs, and I was daily in the temple teaching. Jesus relieved the afflicted. He changed lives. He taught those who had an open heart. And Jesus prepared the world for the church to come. Jesus prepared his apostles. He went about doing good. Of course, that ought to be able um, to be said about us. We have the same mission. We don't have the power that Jesus had, but we still have the same mission. Galatians 6 verse 2 says we ought to be bearing one another's burdens. We ought to be out doing as much good as we can. Titus 2.14 says we are to be zealous of good works. We ought to be trying to look for good works and do them. We don't have to wait for a good work to be mentioned in the church bulletin. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are good doers. Jesus went about doing good. That's what we're to be doing. And like Jesus, we're to be teaching the open, those who have an open heart. We're to prepare our young people to take on the devil and the world. We are to be going about doing good. They said to Jesus in a sneering sort of way, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. But in reality, they were giving Him a tremendous compliment. Here's another statement from the ground. That they said to Jesus, as He hung on the cross, as He's suffering, they said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save Himself. Well, the second fact here about Jesus is he could not come down from the cross. That is so true. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. He just could not come down from the cross. Now, technically, we know Jesus had the raw power to completely stop the crucifixion, even before it started. He is the Lord, by the way. We know by reading in Colossians 1.16 that through Jesus the entire universe was created. And in Jesus all things continue to, to hold up. All things still continue to exist and consist. 
He is before all things, and in him is all things created. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. He has the raw power to do anything he wants to do technically. Technically. Jesus even told Peter, you know, when Peter took the sword and and cut off the man's ear as they were arresting Jesus. Jesus told him, Matthew 26, 53, he says, Do you not know at this time I could call more than 12 legions of angels? I could call more than 12 legions of angels if this was about a physical fight, but that's not what it's about. Jesus had the raw power to come down from the cross. I mean, he resurrected people. He resurrected Jairus' daughter. He resurrected Lazarus. He resurrected that widow of Nain's son, Luke chapter 7. He had the raw power to do anything he wanted to do technically, but in reality, as the Son of God, he could not come down from the cross. Let's explore that just a minute or two. You see, Jesus could not come down from the cross if he was going to demonstrate his love for us. He could not do it. Romans 5 verse 8, God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15 verse 13, Jesus himself uh, says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said in John 10 verse 11, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, John 15, 13, John 10, uh, verse 11, over and over Jesus said he was going to die for the sins of the world. Jesus could not come down from the cross and continue to show his love for man. He must die on the cross. You see, if I, Ephesians five twenty five, we read that Jesus loves us and gave himself up for us. Paul said it this way more personally in Galatians 2, verse 20, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church. He loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus is love. Jesus told people about the love of the Father. Jesus and the Father loved each other. They were together in oneness. Jesus could not come down from the cross and continue to show his, his love. He must stay there. He must stay there. You see, Jesus could not come down from the cross and at the same time demonstrate his submission to the Father. He must stay on that cross in order to demonstrate his submission to the will of the Father in heaven. John 6 and verse 38, Jesus himself says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's it. That's it. That's why we're here too. We're not here to do our own will, to do our own thing, but to do the will of Him who put us here, to do the will of the Father. Jesus would stay on that cross to demonstrate that He was here to do the will of the Father. Here's a good memory verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Hadn't read this in a while, at least I hadn't in a while. Romans 5, verse 19. Kind of sums things up. Romans 5, 19. Through the disobedience of one, many were made sinners. Okay? 
as through the disobedience of one, that is Adam, back in the beginning, many were made sinners, but also through the obedience of one, our Lord Jesus, many will be made righteous. Isn't that beautiful? Through the disobedience of one, many are made sinners, but through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. You see, Jesus had to stay on that cross in order to demonstrate His submission, His submission to the will of the Father. And then Jesus had to stay on that cross if He was going to keep His word. If He was going to keep His word. Jesus never sinned, not in His body and not with His tongue. He never sinned. 1 Peter 2.22 Explains this to us. He did no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Ever. Ever. That's why he is the example. He was, Hebrews 4.15 He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. Jesus predicted and told people that he would go to the cross and die. He had to stay on that cross if he was going to keep his word. And he would keep his word. He was bound to the cross by his conviction, but also by his own words. Matthew sixteen twenty one. Jesus explains to his uh, disciples that very soon he would be going into Jerusalem. And there he would suffer many things of the scribes and the elders and the chief priests, and he would be killed. And on the third day, he'd be raised up. Or look at this statement from Matthew 20 and verse 19. Jesus predicts and says that he would be delivered unto the Gentiles, and he would be mocked, he would be flogged, and he would be crucified, but then on the third day, he would be raised again. If Jesus is going to keep His Word, He must stay on that cross. And think about this. Jesus must stay on that cross if He's going to bring salvation to the world. We read in Ephesians 2 and verse 16 that through the cross, men can be reconciled back to God in one body. That one body is the church, as you know. Reconcile means to be made friendly again. Sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Sin puts a separation between us and God. But through Jesus and what He's doing on the cross, as we read about it, what He did on the cross, our submission to Him, we can be back with God. We can walk with God by following His will. If He's going to bring salvation to this earth, then he's got to stay on that cross. It's not the men, it's not the nails that's keeping him there, it's his love, it's his dedication to bringing us salvation from our sins. Again, Ephesians 2 verse 13, those of us who are far off are made near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus just couldn't come down from that cross. If He comes down from that cross, He could not set the example that He has set for us. So He's just got to stay there. 
They look at Him from the ground. They say, come down from that cross. No, it's very similar to Satan's temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. In other words, you don't have to go through this suffering, Jesus. You're the Son of God. Bring things to yourself. Put yourself first. It's time to make time for yourself, Jesus. Jesus would have nothing to do with it. Same type of temptation coming to Jesus from the ground to the cross. If you're the Son of God, come down from there. Jesus could have done it, but He would not do it. For a lot of folks, the flesh is greater than the Spirit. But for Jesus, His conviction was greater than His flesh. He's not going to come down. Jesus shows the greatest power ever seen by not coming down. He shows power by not exercising the power that he had. That serves as a prime example for us today. Because as free people, there's no one compelling us to be here today. There's no one compelling us at all, making us to go out here and deny ourselves and be good doers and do good and, and share the gospel and, and do all we need to do to bring the light of Jesus to the world. We have the power to do anything we want to do. But looking at Jesus' example, he denied himself and went to the cross. We are to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. That's the greatest power. If we could get that through to our hearts, into the practical habits of our lives, and get that message out to the world, the greatest power known is the power of denying self. The power of humility. So the second fact about Jesus is he could not come down from the cross. Here's a third statement from the ground. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, Matthew 27, 40. The third fact about Jesus is he's often misunderstood. Jesus is often misunderstood. They brought this idea up in the trial. This comes from John chapter 2, verse 19, you recall. Jesus made this very provocative statement. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And the Jews respond to Jesus there in John 2 and say, it took 46 years to build this temple. They're looking at this big structural building called the temple there in Jerusalem. It took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to destroy it and bring it back in three days? And they never let that go. But what Jesus was talking about, of course, was the temple of his body. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. It's actually a wonderful statement. Incredible statement. Think about what Jesus is doing. He is predicting his own death. He's predicting his own resurrection. And he's saying, I am going to bring about that resurrection. Destroy this temple and I, notice Jesus' words there in John 2, 19 to 21, and I will raise it up. I will raise it up. It reminds us of what Jesus says in John 10, 17 and 18. No man takes my life from me, 
I have power to lay it down. I have power to raise it up again. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus is often misunderstood. There's another resurrection that's misunderstood today. And that's the, that's the resurrection coming up out of the waters of baptism. That is misunderstood today. The truth about baptism is very much the words of Jesus. Just as much as they misunderstood the words of Jesus concerning the temple, so they misunderstand the words about baptism. How much plainer could it be? Mark 16, 16, Jesus himself says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It takes a lot of help to misunderstand that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter, led by the Lord, said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our religious friends have taken that to mean that you say a prayer to Jesus and you receive forgiveness. But what they fail to do is just to keep reading and let Peter describe and, and explain what he means by calling on the name of the Lord. Just keep reading. When they ask Peter what we shall do, what shall we do, seeing we have sinned, seeing that Jesus is Lord, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You see, for the remission of sins is the same thing as salvation. It's the same thing as salvation in Acts 2.21. Remission of sins in Acts 2.38 is the same thing as salvation in Acts 2.21. So, in order, so therefore, to call upon the name of the Lord is to repent and be baptized of your sins. It's a little wonder as Paul explains his own salvation in Acts 22 and verse 16. As he explains his own conversion experience, he says, after three days of not eating and, and not drinking anything, three days of regretting everything I have ever been, Ananias came along and said to me, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, the Lord is still misunderstood even today. I have often uh, been in discussion with someone and, and they'll bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 14-17 where Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. You ever heard somebody say that? You ever heard somebody bring that verse up? Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And that's, that's exactly what Paul said. But all you've got to do is just read what Paul was saying there. You know what's going on in Corinth. They were making heroes of the preachers. Instead of following Christ, they were following those who were speaking in a religious way. Some saying, I am of Paul. Some saying, I am of Peter. Some saying, I am of Apollos. And Paul's addressing that very problem. That's why he said, I'm thankful I only baptized a few of you if this is going to be your manner of life. If this is, if this is going to be your, your habit in your life. And then in that context, he says, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach uh, the gospel. The most important part about bringing someone to Christ is not who baptizes you, but rather that the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached. That's the most important thing. And so notice that oftentimes Jesus is misunderstood. And we learn this from the words on the ground at the cross. And then notice these words from the centurion who stood there and watched Jesus die on the cross. The centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God. 
Fact number four about Jesus is he is proclaimed to be the Son of God. So let's review this. Just a second. Jesus went about doing good. Fact number one. Fact number two, Jesus could not come down from that cross. Fact number three, Jesus is often misunderstood. Fact number four, you see it here. Jesus is often proclaimed to be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Now, there had just been an earthquake as Jesus dies on the cross. There had been darkness. You know, it was, it was midnight at midday on that day that Jesus died. It was midnight at midday. You would think if you were standing around watching Jesus die on the cross that God was up to something. And the centurion saw the darkness. He saw the earthquake. He felt the earthquake. And he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Some have responded, critics of the Bible have responded and said, well, all he was saying was that Jesus was a God among Many gods, uh, this centurion was simply a pagan. He was just showing respect to Jesus as he would show respect to any god of that day. But if you turn over to Luke 23 and 47, it was not just saying that Jesus was the Son of God. Actually, what they were saying was, this was a righteous man. This was an innocent man. And in that context, they were saying, they were actually, they were bringing glory to God. It says, they glorified God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Okay. This wasn't somebody simply paying respect to an innocent man. This was somebody saying, this is God on the cross. This, this is the Son of God dying for us. Absolutely. We won't take the time. But it is a faith-building experience to look at all the different confessions found in the Bible. It truly is. But it certainly teaches us that we ought to be out proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. It's the most important set of words you'll ever say in your life. When you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that carries the world. That carries your purpose. That drives you all the way into eternity. And then these words, He trusts in God. Again, they're back to mocking him from the ground. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Again, what a great compliment. Fact number five is they ridiculed Jesus for his faith. They misunderstood Jesus. Some proclaimed him as the Son of God, but they also ridiculed him for, for his faith. He trusts in God. Brother Ken, wouldn't that be something great to be said about anybody? I mean, what more would you desire than at the end of your life somebody come along and say, he trusted in God. That's it. That's what we're living for. I mean, and whether anybody says it or not, that don't really matter. What matters is, did I trust in God? Did I put my full faith in him? If we are going to be ridiculed, let it be for our faith. Let it be for our faith. Let it be for us speaking the word of God. Let it be for us trying to do good. Let it be for us trying to carry out the will of God. If we're going to be ridiculed, let it be for that. Do you remember Daniel in chapter 6 of Daniel, book of Daniel? 
Daniel now serving under King Darius. Daniel has become one of the chief advisors of the king. In fact, the king was getting ready to put Daniel over the whole kingdom. The other advisors of the king were very jealous of Daniel. And so they tried to find fault with Daniel. They just couldn't find any, any real fault because Daniel was just faithful. He was just faithful. And they said, you know, if we're going to find something against him, it's going to have to be with his religion, his faith in God. They knew that Daniel was a praying man. And so they concocted this little thing with the king saying, Oh, king, why don't you make a proclamation? We think it would be a very good idea to make this proclamation. Anybody makes a petition in the next 30 days to anybody but you, let that person be thrown in the lion's den. I just have to think, you know, the king thought a lot of Daniel. And yet at the same time, he's letting himself become... Uh, fooled by these advisors. I don't know what kind of king he was. But at the same time, uh, it worked on the king, and so Daniel got thrown in the lion's den because they knew that Daniel would be praying to God in a faithful way. If we're going to be ridiculed, let it be for our faith. Let, us, let it be the driving force of our life that if nothing else is said of us, it is said that he trusted in God. And so this morning as we have now observed these words from the ground, this is not all of them. Not all of them. But I think you can see that once again our respect for the Lord Jesus continues to grow. And he challenges us by his example to be more faithful, to be more dedicated, to be more loving as we make our way through this life. If we can assist if we can pray with anyone this morning, if we can study, faith comes by hearing the Word of God in Romans ten seventeen. That's where it all begins. If we can study further with anyone, please let that be known today. It might be that you're ready. Maybe you've been studying. Maybe you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. Maybe you're completely convinced that He is the Son of God. You know, the next thing then is to be baptized. If you, if you believe He is the Son of God, then you are ready to repent and be baptized. Maybe that is your desire, even this morning. It might be that you have allowed yourself to wonder a little bit. You know, it's very possible, possible to be close but yet far away. These people... Saying these words, these people who are mocking Jesus, they're standing right there at the cross. But look how far away they are from God. It's possible to be around those things which are religious and still not get it. Still allow ourselves to drift away. Can we help anyone this morning? Please let that be known right now as we stand together, as we sing.